I recently completed the full rewatch of the Tulane game from Saturday, and I was shocked to see how bad it was at times upon revisit. That's not to say there weren't any positives, there were plenty of them, but the negatives far outweighed the good. A lot of these things are correctable. We've seen this core of players perform to a much higher standard no more than nine months ago. But still, it was disappointing to see a lot of what we saw last Saturday afternoon, considering it was the kickoff game to what this team hopes is a national championship season. Here's some off-the-wall thoughts from my rewatch of the game. Spencer Rattler's talent is undeniable. We've seen him perform exceptionally at times in his first 12 games as starter at OU, but this was not one of his finer performances. His tendency to drift and throw off of his back foot is an issue that pops up constantly in this game. The critics are not just blowing smoke. It happens on turnover-worthy plays, and it also happens on routine plays. I counted two instances just in the third quarter where it cost OU a drive-extending first down and then a potential explosive play to Mario Williams. Bottom line is this. Rattler is very inconsistent with his mechanics and decision-making. If this game is any indication of how his season will go, OU will not be enjoying their regular success this season. The offensive line was not terrible. They were good to very good in pass protection for the most part, but they performed poorly in the box trying to open up holes in the run game. At times, they looked completely unprepared for Tulane's aggressive style. Fortunately, there is precedent in the past for this unit to gel as the season goes on. Moving on, Kennedy Brooks is just a really good football player, man. No context needed on that whatsoever. Moving over to the defense, the defensive line rotations didn't bother me as much the second time watching. All the rotations were able to get fairly consistent pressure in the backfield. Corey Roberson, Nick Benito, Reggie Grimes were the clear standouts in my opinion. Uh, Josh Ellison didn't have a great game and neither did Perry and Winfrey. The defensive backs weren't as bad as I thought live, but they also weren't good either. Far too many open receivers in situations where you can't have that. But on the whole, not as many of those instances as I remembered live. And then I'm just going to finish with the linebackers, who are downright atrocious. There's no other way to put it. Throw this game in the trash and burn it. Overall, the number one takeaway for me was how bad this team was in the margins in this game. Terrible situational run defense. Ill-timed blitzes. Dropped passes. Missed tackles behind the line of scrimmage. And bad decision-making from their signal caller. Fortunately... All of those failures did not result in an L. The team did not look like the team we were expecting, which is disappointing, but the future is not written yet. This game does not have to result in the season spiraling out of control. Will the Sooners rise to the occasion? I'm Grant Benson. This is West of Everest. Pressure coming off the edge. Pratt is hit, and he's sacked. Dragged down by Nick Benito. Fourth down. OU's defense takes it up a notch when they absolutely needed it the most last Saturday. Nick Benito and Perrion Winfrey sacked Michael Pratt on third down, and then the Sooners tripped up Pratt just before he reached the first down marker a play later. That series, one of the few bright spots for Oklahoma's defense in the second half against Tulane. We've got a jam-packed show today full of sound bites from Lincoln Riley, Alex Grinch, and David Oweibu. That sound will drive the episode as the Sooners prepare this week to play FCS Western Carolina. 
An update from the previous episode. I have now watched the game back and taken some notes, which will allow me to go into more detail about some of the things that we talked about on Sunday's podcast, or I guess Monday's podcast. I have a feeling that Grant and I will disagree on at least a couple of topics of conversation today. And disagreement mixed with debate is always is always fun and makes for a better show. Speaking of Grant, he's going to assist me here on this episode as we each try to provide you with fresh, nuanced, and sometimes entertaining Oklahoma football content. So without further ado, the man who was once attending a major league soccer match by himself, a man who knows more about OU football from the year 1999 to the present than anybody else I know, and also the man who founded the Jalen Hurts fan club, ladies and gentlemen, Grant Benson. That's that's kind of slander there at the end. You're kind of taking that a little uh, a little too far, I would say. Uh, just because he's underrated doesn't mean that I am starting the fan club. But uh, I don't know. Maybe like maybe maybe I should start the Jalen Hurts is underrated fan club. And if you disagree with me, you're wrong. <laughs> that's always a great way to squash debate. After I talked about how there could be some fun debate in this episode, I mean it's let's, okay. Let's you're just you're that. just wrong yeah. about that. It's okay. It's fine. There's a lot more nuance to it. I, I think you are. So with Jalen Hurts, it's a tale again. It, for, with him and OU, it's a tale of two parts of the season, and that's what it comes down to me. And I think you are looking at it as as a whole. Like, oh, actually, he was super underrated. Where towards the end of the year, he was. Yeah, he. I, I won't say he was a liability, but. It was a it was a major downgrade from what we had seen at quarterback at Oklahoma the previous two guys, which you know how can you not be? It's Mayfield Who, and Murray. I mean, Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray literally had the two best seasons for a quarterback in NCAA history back to back, and you're using that to compare the season that Jalen Hurts had. Well, that's part of it, but it's also what we saw at the beginning of the season with Jalen Hurts, and and then it was just the steady decline, the steady steady decline where. He wasn't as athletic. He wasn't as fast as the season went on because he took a bunch of hits and he wasn't as explosive and he wasn't as dynamic. And defenses made it more difficult for him to pass the football. Whereas where you see after that, actually starting at that Kansas State game where they lost, you look at how many times he carried the football the rest of the season. He averaged something like 20 to 25 carries per game, whereas the first part of the year he was getting about 10. So he ran the football a lot more late in the year because he couldn't throw it. And there was nothing there. And Riley knew he couldn't throw it. <laughs> and so there, the offense was a lot more one-dimensional at the time of the season when they needed to be a lot more dynamic and creative. And I was texting you the other day. I, I think a lot of that now in hindsight was the schedule, the way it shook out. The schedule in the first seven games, and this includes Kansas State because Kansas State wasn't all that good, there were cupcakes. It was Cupcake City, and the, all the good defenses that Oklahoma faced were all backloaded. And so it was just a... Man, it was it was a mixture of the best teams were down at this end of the season, and also Jalen Hurts had been beaten up, beaten up, beaten up, and he was just less effective. It would have been interesting to see how that season would have played out if he would have faced all the tough defenses at the start of the year, and then as the season went on, the defenses got you know, you know pro- progressively worse. If towards the end of the season he would have been able to become a, you know maybe a better passer, and the offense would have started to do, grow a little bit more going into the Big Twelve title game and into the playoff. Yeah, I mean, I, I understand your position. It's just you're, you you greatly underrate his running ability and how much that drove the offense. And 
I think if we're if we're going to enter Spencer Rattler into this discussion, Spencer Rattler's his his lack of athleticism in the run game is making it is making it really hard for OU to run the ball. It did in this game. So I I understand what you're saying there. I'm not underrating his running ability. What I am saying is that he was such a limited passer that down the stretch, all he could do for the most part was run, and defenses knew that, which made Oklahoma's offense not as dynamic and not as good as it was the first part of the season. Whereas with Spencer Rattler, yes, he can't run. He's not as athletic. But the fact that he's able to throw the football and make all of the throws, that type of quarterback puts you in position more consistently to be more dynamic and more creative on offense than Jalen Hurts was with Oklahoma down the stretch. I think I think it's kind of an interesting argument because I, if you think that OU's offense in the twelve games that Spencer Rattler has started has been more consistent than a Jalen Hurts offense, you're on drugs. It's been more consistent all the way through compared to the what fourteen games that Hurts played for Oklahoma. Consistently inconsistent. No, it, more consistent of you know what to expect. You know what you're going to get. Whereas with so not very good Jaylen on third Hurts, down, bad decisions. Not being able to run the ball. Hey, you keep saying bad decisions. Rattler has not made a whole lot of bad decisions. I, I, you're, I think you're basing a lot of that off of the last game. I mean, the Texas game, he had a bad pick. He had a fumble. And he had a really bad pick later in the year against Kansas out of nowhere. And, and I think that was just because, and we can talk about this a little bit later because I have some more thoughts on Rattler. Sometimes when the competition is a little lower or expected to be lower, Rattler is, is a little too kind of cool and chill and he'll take chances he doesn't need to. But for the most part, I, I think his decision-making is is not as bad as you make it out to be. And I think Jalen Hurts made a lot of poor decisions as well. And, and if at, at worst, they are, they're even with their decision-making at this stage, at least with Hurts at Oklahoma and at this stage in Rattler's career. I just don't yeah, see that. I, I just, it's, at, at this stage, it's still all hype with Rattler. It still is. Like, I, you know, I... And maybe you're right. Maybe I'm living too much in the in, in the moment at this point in time. But he has not shown us at all that he is he is at that level. Like that, you know, a guy that they need to in order to win the playoff. He just hasn't shown that yet. Um, and yeah, yeah, maybe maybe he'll come out in the next the next you know the rest of the month and he'll just look amazing and then I'll I'll be eating my words. But um, I don't know, man. Like I, I I don't know. I'm trying to do to explain this and I think you know what I'm saying but I'm I'm trying to get it like the first again seven games of Jalen Hurts the way he played and the way the offense ran was exactly the way you would have hoped and it was great and I was super excited but as the season went on and you realize he was super limited you kind of started getting the, the sense that all right this offense the the ceiling's not very high with Spencer Rattler sure I get it the offense has not been as good on third down uh, it it has not had as many yards per play as the Jalen Hurts and obviously the Kyler Murray and uh, the Baker Mayfield offenses. But as far as yards per play goes, the latter half of the season with Jalen Hurts, the Spencer Rattler offense is, is pretty much right there. And it's, a lot, and it's the chances of the type of player Rattler is making a defense uncomfortable is greater than what Hurts was down the stretch where he was a one-dimensional player. Because you know as well as I do, you have to be able to throw the football to win these big games. And Hurts couldn't do it down the stretch. He couldn't. Rattler has that ability. The only question is, will he be able to do it when the chips are down? And that's what is unknown at this point. I think for the most part, especially later in the season after he was past his first start, his second start, his third start or whatever, he played really well. 
Uh, and uh, so it was it was very surprising to see the way he played against Tulane, in my opinion. Sure. Yeah, there's there, there's precedent for him bouncing back um, and and, you know, and uh, and rebounding from a from a bad performance. Although like and I, I mentioned this on the last pod, podcast, it is a little concerning to me that the best game he still ever played in an OU uniform is at Iowa State last year. So the best game he's ever played. And I don't he played know. Great I don't like that. He also played really. He also played really good against TCU last season. I thought he played really good against Texas Tech. Uh, it was really like bad against Baylor. Game log. He was that. That was one of his worst games, if not his worst game. He, he was, was bad, really against bad against Kansas. Bad against Kansas. And and what is a a theme of those two? And this is what I I can get into right now is I think he like a lot of young college age high school players which is infuriating to you and to me and to the fan base but they're kids I think he underestimates people and he underestimated Baylor he saw the record but whatever it's Baylor he underestimated Kansas they beat the crap out of Kansas but I don't think the focus is quite as there remember the Texas Tech game I think he played really well in that's in that game the whole thing about was it I can't remember if it was before the game no it was after the game where he was said yeah this week we were talking about how we just wanted to go put it on somebody beat somebody down so even though Texas Tech wasn't very good for whatever reason going into that game they really wanted to blow somebody out and Rattler was like, 21 I, I'm to 30 sorry, but you're you're explaining you're 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 explaining to me why Spencer Rattler is not great I mean it's the fact that he can't get up for those games is an issue yes that is a problem that is a problem that that I and frankly it's two lane is the most recent evidence it's an issue and it's a mindset and I've said this ad nauseum i just don't understand whatsoever it makes zero sense if you're but maybe it yes. is maybe i'm just so i'm so far removed from that age where i don't but i don't know yes i i am with you and so you texted me you something the other day you said what does rattler do well you know what or is that fair is I that asked, a fair assessment of what you I, asked I, I texted you i asked what does spencer rattler do consistently well within the offense gotcha okay so i don't think anything so I wrote down what I like about Spencer Rattler and what I don't like about him. And so what I like about Rattler is that he's really smooth. He's really calm. He's never too high. He's never too low. He throws a pretty ball most of the time. He has the ability to work through progressions. He also has the ability to make all of the throws. He's also very accurate on the move, particularly rolling to his right. His style of play, and this is what I was getting at a moment ago, comparing him to Hertz, his style of play is conducive to winning at the highest level because he's a a very talented passer, but his football IQ needs to get better. And that leads me into what I don't like about him. And admittedly, there's a lot more here that I don't like as far as words go and details. And this is an obvious one. I don't like his footwork. It's not fundamentally sound. I think that's just the way it's going to be with him though, because I think he's been able to get away with it for the entirety of his career. And you go back to last season. Cause I, I was thinking, man, he looks uncomfortable. He's not setting his feet. He's drifting. Let's go look at some games from last season. And I watched some snaps from that Tech game, and I watched that first touchdown pass against Florida in the Cotton Bowl. It looked the same. His footwork looked the same, and uh, the same as did did against Tulane. And in those games against Tech, in that game against Florida, he was dropping the ball into a bucket. He had great accuracy. But against Tulane, his first interception, he drifted. It was a bad decision. It was picked off. That interception that was called back because of a bad P.I., he drifted, threw off his back foot, 
no velocity on the throw, and he didn't account for the safety. Against Florida, he knew he had Mims one-on-one. Against Tulane, for whatever reason, he he thought it was a one-on-one situation where the safety wasn't coming over the top, and now it just goes, goes back to the football IQ and not taking things maybe as seriously as you should. He feels, you know, inside the pocket, his feel inside there is not where it needs to be for him to be a guy that's going to be a good NFL player. He doesn't seem comfortable letting that pocket develop for two, three, four seconds. You know, he'll give it a second or two, and then he might start to drift backwards out of the pocket, or maybe he'll pull the trigger too early when he still had another beat or two to let a guy get open or work through a progression. Sometimes he'll step up. We saw it against Tulane a couple of throws. He stepped up and found some guys down the field, but it's not consistent. We've already discussed this. He's a downgrade in athleticism from Baker Mayfield, from Kyle Murray, and from Jalen Hurts. Talked about that last season. Remember, I brought that up late in the year. He just he wasn't very dynamic. He's not fast. Nobody's afraid of his legs, and that's going to extend into this year. And he, he looks awkward. He looked awkward against Tulane running the football a couple of times, scrambling. Like he didn't know for whether to slide. It took a weird hit at some point. And then this gets to what I was kind of briefly re- uh, touching on a, a moment ago, his demeanor. It's a little too cool for school for me. It's a little too casual. And I think Rattler underestimated Tulane going into that game. After the game, he admitted that he thought Tulane wanted to win the game more than them. He said it out loud. I think that led to his first interception. Talked about it last podcast. He predetermined that throw. He didn't take into account reading the defense, considering that Tulane might actually play defense smart against the leak concept that they run all the time. He's so confident in himself and his abilities that he'll try to fit the ball into places that's not worth the risk. And sometimes he'll do it, and it'll look beautiful, and you'll think, wow, what an incredible throw. So I'm not sure uh, the last thing. To me, he sounds like every big-armed, hyped quarterback that comes into college and is just fine. He's Mitch Mustaine. He's trying to think. Jacob well, the difference Eason. is that he's got – no, the difference in that is though he has ball placement. He has accuracy. Those guys couldn't put the ball where they wanted to. That's the main thing with Spencer Rattler. And he's so smooth, and he can put the ball wherever he wants to for the most part whenever he is taking it seriously. And that's the problem. That is the main thing. I, and, and this goes to my last point. I'm not so sure that he has the full buy-in yet from his teammates. And it's especially after game one. Didn't play very well. And we'll talk about this in a moment. Listening to Lincoln Riley's comments, talking about Rattler and his leadership earlier this week. I'll play them for you later in the show. Gave me a little bit of pause. So, as you can see, I had a lot more on the dislike. But overall, (laughs) I I think there's... You're going (laughs) to... I'm just... Well, I don't know. It's... uh, Let's because the standard's so high. I... I, I I still think overall people are, are overact overreacting to that that first game more and, and they're throwing him in the trash too quickly. I I think there was a there's a lot of good and some of the bad can be chalked up to him and this is a problem lack of focus and not being ready. That's the problem right there. I like I it's no excuse no excuse whatsoever. Of course, like we we hope that it was just such a weird game and it was so hot and it was. But you you rewatched the game. The offense's body language in the second half was so unacceptable and so awful. I don't even I don't know what to do with that. Like that's attitude reflects leadership, man. That's that's Spencer Rattler. Yeah, it's not. And good. also Julius. I'm Campbell. not going to defend that. <laughs> All right, let's play Lincoln Riley talking about Spencer Rattler and his leadership qualities and how they've evolved since he. Uh, since last season, whenever, obviously, Spencer was a starting quarterback. 
as far as being a leader, I think he's he's you you see him starting to grow there. You know, he's not the he's not yet the you know established or comfortable leader that some of our guys have been, and some of that's just is really his age. Um, but he's he's definitely taken big steps. You know, he wasn't much of a leader last year. We didn't really need him to be, nor really ask him to be, and that's. He's wanted to take on that role. He's learning as these different situations comes on how he, how he can lead, but also balancing leading with being an effective player. And that's a you know with a position like quarterback that's so mental, that's a big part of it because you can you know you can go raw 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 all you want, but if you're not producing and doing your job, it's it's it can be counterproductive. So he's he's heading in a good direction there, and I think I think he he'll become a really good leader for us as time goes on and he continues to get in these experiences. So I think the thing that stands out the most about that is Riley saying that last season he wasn't much of a leader. And then he qualified it by, hey, you know, we didn't ask him to be, nor, nor do we ask him to be. And, and he's, you know, this year he, he wants to do that. He's trying, you know. And, and my first thought is there's no playbook on how to be a leader. I mean, it's, it's just either you are or you aren't. And there's different ways people can lead. But as the quarterback, and I've never played quarterback, so I don't know how it is. I mean, I, we could ask, probably should bring a quarterback on to, you know, to, to ask them how it is. I mean, you got to get along with your guys. I feel like you got probably got to spend a lot of time with them outside of practice. You got to get along with every, not just the offensive guys. I mean, you got to have a good rapport with the defensive guys. And it's, it's work, I would imagine. It helps. If you're just a baller and you go out there and you take care of business and you're one of those guys that leads by example, but then if that's what you're going to do and then you go out and you play the way Spencer Rattler played on Saturday, then there's going to be some issues. You got to be more consistent. And I, it just it, it kind of it stood out to me that Riley was comfortable saying that last year he wasn't really much of a leader. We didn't ask him to be, but this year, you know, he's, he's not quite there, but, you know, he's, he's getting better and better. And yeah, it's a long season. You know, games are going to be played now, and that's different than practice. It's different than the offseason. And, and I would bet, I guess, that games are important to developing leadership. But at this time, I'm not – I don't know. I, he's, he's, not a, he's not a Baker Mayfield. I, you know, Kyler Murray was super quiet. I, but Kyler Murray was but, also a bad, bad dude. And, yeah. like, it's just – he, he had he had the quiet confidence about him that yeah he's he's definitely going to do something amazing here. Spencer Rattler's not even in the same, not even close to that at this point in time. And I I just yeah this is sure this is pr- probably most likely this is first game after nine months of not playing. Everyone was super passionate. Everyone disappointed with how they looked. Everyone's probably jumping to some conclusions. But it is it's very concerning to hear that stuff. Riley saying that he's he's not really a leader yet. The fact that we didn't see any sort of evidence of any sort of jump that he took in the offseason. If anything, it looked like he regressed from where he was in the Cotton Bowl. Um, and then you, it's just, yeah, it's not great. It's not great. These are not, this is not a very good first impression of, this, of, of the season at all. And I, it and, just oozed to me. Go, sorry. And I'm, his, the persona and like just sort of like the id and sort of just the the vibe around Spencer Rattler kind of sucks. It just it oozed to me as Tulane's defense is not very good, which statistically last year wasn't. It was awful, especially against the pass. And it the oozed front to seven me was going to be able to last walk year out statistically though, and they were 
They looked yeah, pretty they, good. But in you that mentioned game. they had lost, but they had lost two of their guys to the NFL, like you had mentioned. You know, they they had lost guys. So it kind of oozed to me as I'm going to be able to go step out on the field. We're going to be able to run our stuff, and we're going to be able to gash these guys. And whenever Tulane came out and was disciplined, was hard hitting, uh, played top down coverage, and and didn't let guys run wide open down the field a lot of the times, it made it uncomfortable. And that's just kind of what it came off to me. And it's a wake up call, and I. I I wish that wasn't a thing that would happen, but like I said, I'm going to give him one and we'll see what happens moving forward. But yeah, it's like, I, I'm not as down on Rattler as a lot of people are, but I, you know, I'm, I'm paying attention, put it that way. All right, let's move on to something you kind of just hit on. And it, it, this is a, a theme ever since the game ended. And after halftime, it was it was bad it was uninspired it was just kind of like what's going on with this team and John Hoover asked Riley on Tuesday it's like hey uh, do you think the way the team started the game do you think the way the team you know reacted it's human nature at halftime a big lead you know do you think the guys bought in to all the preseason hype and everyone talking about how good they would be and Rattler said yeah I think that that's possible oh, did I say, uh, Riley said that sorry uh, Lincoln Riley said yes that's possible and Riley expanded on kind of the thought of like, hey, did, did the team buy into the preseason hype and, and why were they so inspired after halftime? I think for us, it's not so much of maybe trying to identify what was the, the source of the problem. It's just we've got to get the mentality in the right place no matter where the source was. And again, maybe there's some guys that thought it's just going to happen. You know, you're just going to blow this team out like everybody says you're going to on the outside. I mean, Again, I think you got some of the human nature. Again, you have the run that we did. You come back out there. Um, I mean, we were, you know, our, our guys were like a lot of the fans. They thought the game was over. I mean, it just it is what it is, and that's that's the that that's our job's different than the fans. Our our job's to be there no matter what, all the time, playing our level of ball. And uh, so, whatever it is, it's got to be better on our players' part and our coaches' part and my part. Um, so. Um, it, we probably have some guys uh, that, that, that it probably came from different areas. Are you surprised, Grant, that Riley is willing to admit, and he said this after the game, that his team thought the game was over? Yeah, I hate He's that. He's willing to admit that. hate that so much. Um, I've said it numerous times in this podcast. That's why they need to totally divorce from the score in the game. They need to do the Alabama style where you're, it's all just about the process. You don't, you don't worry about the score. It's just all about executing. Because when you do that, and that's the culture that you set, you don't you don't have to worry about crap like that. Um, well, it's funny you say that because I believe and in also, this next clip I'll play. I, I just I, it's just it's so it really bugs me when, especially Lincoln Riley conceding that hey yeah maybe they were reading their own press clippings maybe they thought they were going to go in and blow them out just like everyone outside these walls has been saying. I like I watched Tulane tape. And I, I took away from them, yeah, their, their offense is pretty good. If you, if you screw around, their offense can be dangerous. If I can see that, how on earth does that, does that message not get into the building, get into the players' heads? It's a good question. It's a great question. And I feel like it's a question that we've asked at multiple times during this podcast over the years. Not as much with the Alex Grinch regime, but... Uh, certainly after this game, we're asking it. We'll talk a little bit more about Grinch coming up because I got some questions. But I will say Riley may have an answer that, I mean, nothing's really going to satisfy you right now. I know that. But slightly he might 
make you a little bit happy with how he responded to a question I asked him about playing four quarters and it's kind of tough to hear it. I left my question in. We'll play it, and uh, we'll see if you guys get the gist of this. Uh, Coach, you've been stressing the team needs to play four quarters. You mentioned that a few times and also on Saturday. Is that one of those things, though, that is difficult to get a gauge of during the week in practice because it's not a real-life game situation? Or are there steps and things you can do throughout practice to, to know going into Saturday that, okay, our guy's going to be able to play this four uh, Yeah, I think you, can, you have a good idea. Do you ever know 100%? Uh, maybe not, but you can get a good idea of mentally where the guys are at. And and you go back and look at our week of preparation. There's there's some things that would suggest that we would have really good moments in the game, some real bright moments, and there's some things that would suggest that our consistency level um, was was not where it needed to be. So I think our, our practice week was very, very telling uh, of, of what it could become. Now, it doesn't mean even if you – didn't feel like everything was great in practice that week that you don't go out there and fight your tail off to, to still do it, but it just makes the job harder when you haven't really mentally prepared to do it no matter what, no matter what the scoreboard says, no matter how much people on the outside think you ought to beat a team, no matter how hot it is, no matter how many people in the stands, none of that matters at the end of the day if you're really truly focused on the things that, that we preach here. And so uh, it's a great lesson. It's a great, I don't say lesson, lesson's only a lesson if you learn it. Well, it's a great opportunity for us to learn something and we'll see if we're, uh, we'll see if we're a mentally tough enough team and we'll see if we listen good enough to learn it. So, again, tough to hear. I asked Riley if there's things they can do throughout the week in practice to prepare and practice to play four quarters because it's not an actual game situation. Is there steps you can take to know that your guys are going to be able to play those four quarters? And that was his answer. Towards the very end, Grant, I think he kind of got to a little bit what you were talking about with the Saban and the Alabama of just play to play. Did that? But I know it wasn't probably fully to what you were hoping for. What would you think? No, it's just it's, you know, all of that stuff kind of reflects on the coaching staff. If there's a failure to get that message across to the players, man, that's on you and your staff, coach. Um, I, I guess it's just what what has to happen for that locker room to have the same mentality that they had from, you know, from Texas game on last season. How, what does it because it's not like it's not acceptable, right, that it's that it's going to take a loss for that attitude to come in. Right. It's a good point. No, that's you're exactly right. Because how many times did we talk about it last season? The the way they decided, the way that team decided after they went down one and two, and you know the, their record went to one and two, and they could have just gone to the tank. Weird season, COVID. This is stupid. But they actually tried. They wanted to bounce back and win a Big Twelve title. But it took two losses to kind of nail that home. And over the off season, going into this year the thought is okay hopefully they remember that i mean you talked about this a couple months or a couple months weeks ago about how yeah you hope that they're thinking about that iowa state game the first iowa state game a lot and they were being reminded of it using as motivation how can you not be using the feeling you guys had early on in 2020 because i know there's a lot of new players on this team but there's a lot of players from this team that were on the team last season it should be instant you jump in and you are aggressive urgent week one on especially with western carolina coming up in week two when you know you got an fcs team enjoy playing Tulane. so you know you asked a great question i you know riley said that looking back on the week of practice that there were signs that what happened on saturday could have happened <sighs> going into week one the first game i know it's weird that they got a but you know the game situation changed but they got a free home game they didn't have to travel 
it was hot. Who cares? Like Riley said, it was hot for everybody. Yeah, the fans weren't fully there. So what? It was still a decent amount of fans. Whenever they were given reason to cheer and get loud, the fans got loud as best as they could. Uh, all right. Well, I nah, I'm not. Let's go to the defense. The, the defensive energy and all the rotations, that was a big thing, right? And I was telling you, okay, I'll watch the game back and I'll be able to comment more on that. And that was a big discussion point, I know, on message boards. Uh, after the game, Riley and Grinch were asked about that. And then it was brought up again on Tuesday to Lincoln Riley and Alex Grinch. So let's start this out with Lincoln Riley explaining why they played so many guys on Saturday now that he's had time to go back you know, and watch the tape and we've had time to decompress and think more about the way things played out on Saturday. I think we played 31 guys defensively the other night, which is, you know, almost, you know, three guys per position, you know, so it's quite a bit. And that was the, that was the plan. Um, we'll, we'll see how that evolves. Again, part of it is, you know, we have a lot of new pieces that you want to, you want to see what you have, you know, you want to see what they're doing, how they respond in game situations. And then uh, those guys, those 31 guys that played, we felt like on the practice field had earned the right to go in and play. Um, you know, now with some game uh, game tape to evaluate, game situations to evaluate, that'll certainly factor into decisions in the upcoming weeks. And listen, we're not going to play 31 guys on defense every week. I mean, that's it'll narrow. But I think throughout the years, we have proven we're at our best when we can still play a high number of people, specifically on the defensive side of the ball. So our hope is that maybe it's not 31, but that we got a good batch of players that we feel like we can rotate in and out and, and still have you know, continued production. All right, Grant, I have Alex Grinch's thoughts on that same subject. Does anything jump out, though, about that Riley bite that you want to touch on that maybe you'd forget about after I play Grinch? No, you can go ahead. Okay. Andrew, I was disappointed in our effort. I thought it was okay. Um, it's not okay to be okay here. Um, and, and we play 31 guys, um, which I like to be proud of. Um, but we don't play 31 guys so you get more rest. We play 31 guys so we can get your absolute best. Um, and I don't think we got that across the board, um, which, again, uh, is, is a reflection of uh, myself in particular and the defensive staff. Uh, classic Alex Grinchism with uh... – his description of why they played so many guys not because you can not so you guys can just you know be not tired and, and fresh it's like no because we play you all the time because we want your absolute best and it wasn't up to that standard so I like that line uh so now that you've had more time to think I guess I can give my thoughts on on the defensive rotation now that I, I had watched it back uh, watching the tv copy the whole the rotation it didn't bother me it, it, it really didn't uh you know i I've decided that this whole thing has been completely overblown, to be honest with you, with the caveat of knowing that, you know, going into the game, even knowing that Oklahoma is not going to be playing 30 plus players all season long. And Riley confirmed it. He said it. We just played the bite. So did Alex Grinch. You know, and we, going in, we knew that we knew that this is what Alex Grinch likes to do. And since he's been there, he likes to play a bunch of guys and extend those job, uh, those you know, those, those job interviews, if you will, those position battles into the regular season. And so that just, it just didn't, as I was watching it back, I just didn't think much of it. And again, we're going to find out how that shakes out moving forward because they're still going to evaluate it. But what we did find out about Oklahoma's defense grant that, I mean, we kind of had an idea, but since Oklahoma puts a lot of oars on the depth chart, uh, we don't know for sure who they 
think is their top guys. I think we found out who the true defensive starters are, their best 11. You look at the last two-lane series. Who was on the field when Oklahoma needed a stop down there with a game on the line and a touchdown would beat him? In the secondary, it was Fields, Delarian Turner-Yell, Woody Washington, DJ Graham, and Billy Bowman. Those are your five defensive backs. At linebacker, it was Brian Asamoah and David Ogwebu. And on the defensive line, it was Benito, Winfrey, Redmond, and Thomas. And they were out there every single play, all four plays. So I think we got at least uh, a clear indication of who they think are their best 11 in that last series. Uh, I don't know if you had thought about that at all, but I kind of took that into account today when I was putting my notes together. Yeah, no, I, I noted it on uh, on my rewatch. Um, I, at least I, I noted that it looked like the the real kind of alpha starters were in there at the end. Um, and there's a lot of, I mean, so I, I'm with you there on the defensive rotations. I'd brought that up on, on the podcast earlier this week. Um, and yeah, upon rewatching, I don't think it was that big of a deal. The defensive line played well for the most part. Um, and even, you know, the, the guys who got rotated in there who are probably not going to see a ton of this year also for the most part played well too. Um, at least I didn't see anybody who, was like egregiously terrible. All of them kind of had their moments. Like Isaiah Coe had a play that he just absolutely demolished. Uh, Corey Roberson blew up some plays. We already saw Reggie Grimes flash a lot. Um, we, we know about Isaiah Thomas and Nick Benito. I thought Josh Ellison didn't have a great game. Um, I, I kind of, I noticed him getting sort of pushed back a, a few times. Um, but also we've, you know, we've seen him play good football, so that's not really anything I don't think to be super concerned about. Um, I'm hoping that Jordan Kelly is back on Saturday. Um, he's a guy who was mentioned as, you know, as, as one of their more important players in the, um, in the preseason. Um, and you know, hopefully he was just out because of COVID protocols. I guess we don't really know. Um, but, uh, we'll find out. So no, I, the, the rotations didn't, didn't bug me nearly as much as I thought they would, um, you know, during, during the live viewing. So I, I came away from the rewatch more concerned about the offense than the defense, uh, to be totally honest. Um, I thought there was a lot of stuff that they put Man, on Man, not tape. me. Not me. <laughs> I'm way more concerned about the defense. But, but then again, the defense did face a better unit than the offense did, probably. They did. And, so, I, you know, and a, lot of, a lot of the breakdowns on defense really were just playing poorly. Um, and not not recognizing things they should recognize, uh, just inopportune moments, things happening. Um, there's just yeah, like their performance in the margins on defense was not good, but like on a play to play basis, they were not getting shredded by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, Tulane really struggled to push the ball downfield. They couldn't do it in the game. They weren't able to. They weren't capable of doing it. Um, and their play calling reflected that for sure. I just, you know, it's... Well, I mean, they did. They completed one deep ball late in the game uh, over the middle of the field with Woody Washington coverage. And it was one of those situations where a receiver had tight splits and he could have gone anywhere. And he, he beat Washington whenever they cleared that side of the field out. And it was an over route. And that's one of the most difficult plays to defend as a, as a, as a man cover corner. But other than that, yeah, you're right. They didn't push the ball down the field. But when you're going against Oklahoma going into that game, is that really part of your game plan? Because you know they're going to get after your quarterback. And the game plan for them was get the ball out fast. And so it's almost like, yeah, you're going to take your shots here and there. And they did. They tried to take some shots that were mostly unsuccessful. But I don't know if that was a big part of their game plan because they, they figured, well, we're going to have to protect a lot 
to be able to take some deep shots a lot of the game. We're not going to be able to do that. So I, I don't think it's I, – I think it was, was just part of Tulane's game plan not to take a whole lot of shots. Oh, they for sure. They didn't for sure. have to. They absolutely yeah. knew that they weren't going to be able to hold up in pass protection. They knew that. They watched yeah. tape. They okay. actually did watch tape. So um, <laughs> I, I guess, yeah, what I was, that was kind of a roundabout way of me saying I was actually mostly encouraged from what I saw by the D-line. There were a lot of plays where, I mean, if, if Pratt holds on to the ball for another just split second, they have eight or nine sacks in that game. I mean, he, was, he got hit so much. Um, and he was uh, he he did a really good job of getting it out uh, when he was under pressure too. So, um, what I have to say, like, but going from there, right? If you're Oklahoma's defensive staff, you absolutely should you have to know that a majority of your opponents are going to have to operate very similarly. They're not going to be able to to pass protect for those for the long passes to develop, and so your defensive game plan has got to account for the short passes. Because you know that your defensive line and your front are going to force that out of the other team. So how is how is your defensive game plan not not that? Yeah, Alex Grinch talked about the defensive line and how they were just a step away sometimes. And he said, yes, it's all-encompassing. The entire defense can help out when it comes to getting after the quarterback. But he also said, hey, when it comes to the defensive line, you got to ask yourself, you got to think, what can I do to improve myself enough to where I'm not taking that extra split second to get there? I can get there that much faster. And that's all great and good, but man, also you have to take into account what can we do in the secondary to make it to where that quarterback's going to hold the ball a split second, just a split second more, and, and give the defensive line some more help. And I'm not saying that Grinch wasn't acknowledging that because he did say that yes it's it takes everybody it takes the back end as well but it, to me it's yes everyone has to get better we get that but the chances of an Isaiah Thomas or Nick Benito or Perry on Winfrey like they're gonna they're gonna be able to figure out something to get to the quarter to get to the quarterback just that much faster yes I guess that's possible but to me I like the idea of using your talented defensive backs your talented corners that you like a lot and using them a lot more to get their hands on guys and make it more difficult for those players to flash open to where the quarterback is confident that, oh, there he is. I'm going to get rid of the football. So to me, it comes from more of do more with your defensive backs than it is to hope that your already really good defensive line gets even better. It's possible both ways, but I'd like to see more, more utilizing the corners up at the line of scrimmage. And it's not like it, like, it's not like it didn't happen at all against Tulane. There are some instances where they did play press but there are also instances, more so than not, where there'd be a guy off here and there, and they'd be open up, uh, opening themselves up to giving up those quick pass plays. Jordan Kelly, by the way, he was asked, uh, Riley was asked about him, and Riley said something along the lines of uh, medical issues, and I'll let you guys figure out what that means. So he was insinuating that it's COVID-related. Uh, not just him, I think maybe Drake Stoops might have been thrown into that as well. Who knows? Uh, so that that's the the answer to that. And also when it comes to Kelly, I'll, I'll be honest, I kind of forgot about him. Maybe that's why a guy like Gilliam was getting playing time because Kelly, you know, maybe Kelly's that that other you know eighth guy on the inside because we know he's more than good enough to play. And uh, heck, if Gilliam's there, heck, that's nine guys on the inside that could play. Who knows? Let's see what's next. More on Alex Grinch. So this is going to get down. This is interesting to me. We're, we talked about Tulane. You talked. You're way ahead of it, Grant. Tulane's offense is good. They can score. 
But also, uh, Tulane had a new offensive coordinator. So what are we going to see from this offense? And you mentioned that the offense did look different from when you watched tape last season to what you saw on Saturday. And so Alex Grinch was asked about, hey, you know, what did Tulane do? Was it something that they did that, that caught you guys off guard? And Grinch says that it was all about execution, and it wasn't really about Tulane doing anything that was unexpected. Here he is. I would love to say we're surprised by, by everything they did, and, and uh, that's just now the reality of it. You know, and certainly I, I thought you know you got to give them credit from an execution standpoint. You know, there's some things you know what, what you know so often offenses do is they, they put you in conflict with a run pass. You know, some jet sweeps, some unbalanced looks, um, but uh, ultimately it came down to, to execution. So um, no, it, it uh, it's something you always analyze. No, and then that's the last thing you want to do as a coach is ever put your guys in a situation um, where you feel like you're unsound and you didn't give them an opportunity to, to be successful. So you're always looking at that. But uh, in the end, um, I, I think the kids would trumpet it as well. Um, you know, it really just came down to execution. All right, so this is where it gets interesting, Grant. Why is he saying that? Because a week ago, I brought up Pat Fields. He alluded last week before the game that there was not a whole lot of film on Tulane. It was kind of tough to prepare for. And he was confident that what they were doing in practice against Oklahoma's offense was going to be good enough to get them ready for the game. And then on top of that, Nick Benito, after the game, like immediately after the OU Tulane game, said this. I wouldn't consider it a wake-up call. I, I felt like it was more, you know, us, you know, not knowing what they were going to run. You know, um, we knew that, you know, they got a new coordinator coming in this year, so we didn't know what to expect. So we knew the first couple drives, you know, we might have to deal with a little something. But, you know, I feel like we adjusted well in the second half and, you know, fourth quarter, you know, second half, we just couldn't finish. But I feel like we adjusted well to it for, for sure in the first half. All right, real quick, I think Benito misspoke. He meant to say we adjusted for it in the second quarter, and then in the second half, they didn't adjust. But that was the exact opposite of what Alex Grinch said, and that was right after the game. So, I mean. So, yeah, I me mean, it's, I believe the players in this situation. Um, that's As still not I. an excuse. And I think the, ev- the evidence. Still not an excuse. Right, and I think the evidence suggests what we saw in the field that what Benito said, and based on what Pat Fields kind of alluded to, is more along the lines of what really happened. And so I ask, what is the reasoning for this strategy by Alex Grinch? Does he not want to admit publicly that they didn't have a whole lot of film on this version of Tulane, on that version of Tulane's offense? Or is it something else where he wants his guys, the players in that locker room, the players on that side of the football to take responsibility themselves for their actions and not playing up to that standard. Uh, so, so he just says, nope, it was just we didn't play good enough. And maybe it's something else. I think it's the latter. I think it's what you say there. I think it's a messaging thing and it's a mentality thing for sure because regardless of, of whether or not they were confused with what Tulane did, they still had trouble getting Michael Pratt down behind the line of scrimmage when they had him dead to rights. They had trouble tackling in the intermediary. Uh, they had trouble tackling when they absolutely needed tackles on second and long. Uh, yeah, no, their execution still really sucked in large parts of the game. So, I mean, two things can be true at once. Like they, Tulane was doing a lot of creative, good things uh, and confusing things for OU's defense. But also, that doesn't matter once the ball is snapped and you know exactly where the ball carrier is and you can't tackle them. And that happened on numerous occasions. Go back to their second touchdown that they scored in the first quarter. That is just horrendous Ugh. tackling. It's just yeah. terrible. The guy, the guy probably should have been stopped for a for no gain. 
And that's yeah, that was yeah, that was bad. That's got to get better. And like I don't, I you know, I feel like and there that's wasn't stuff that one we, of those plays on the other side of the ball where Oklahoma broke no, a bunch Tulane, of tackles. Tulane and, tackled extremely well, and I don't. This is honestly, this is this is a thing. This has been a thing at OU for the last decade. It's kind of it's tiresome. <laughs> so here's the problem I think with Alex Grinch using that strategy and that messaging in his, in his press conference, while. We heard from other players after the game and before the game that you know maybe that's not necessarily the case uh, because it, it puts David Agwebu kind of in a tough spot because Agwebu talked on Tuesday and he and Grinch were on the same page that it was all about execution and not living up to the standard and it wasn't necessarily Tulane doing anything that surprised them and so I'm going to play two pieces of sound from David Agwebu starting with uh, again just talking about what Tulane did and the execution, and you're going to hear a follow-up question, I think, from James Hale in the middle of it. It'll all make sense. Yeah, I just think that we didn't play to the elite level that I know that we can play at and that I know that we have played at before. It's definitely fixable, and I think we've already moved past that, and that would definitely um, that definitely show up within the, the remainder of the season. You know, It was just, like I said, we didn't play up to our standard. We have a very high standard that we set for ourselves. Were they doing something that bothered you? Was it, was it, were you seeing things that you didn't anticipate? No, not at all. We prepare ourselves great for this game. We saw okay. um, everything, I, could, I guess you could say, we expected to see. It was more of us just not executing what we need to do. I don't think we were ever, like, overwhelmed by them or anything. It was just us not executing our, our game plan. All right, so that's a, a Guaybu sounding a lot like Alex Grinch, right? It's like, nope, we were expecting everything. It's just we didn't play well. We didn't play up to our standard. We know we, we can be an elite defense. We didn't play up to that standard. And so that got me thinking. I got, I got a question for David Guaybu, and I, let's just say I, I wasn't ready for the answer. I don't know if anybody else was ready for the answer, including Guaybu. David, uh, you say that. What Tulane did, you weren't all that surprised. You prepared for it. You guys just didn't play up the standard. Um, I guess then, why do you think, you know, after eight months of, you know, the offseason and all the excitement for game one, why do you think you and and the defense and, and sometimes, you know, in the offense as well, why don't you think you guys played up to that standard that you've set for yourself? Man, I got no idea. I asked myself that question myself. Yeah. Uh... So I think I stumped David Obwebu, uh, and man, I uh, that was surprising, Grant. I hope okay. So and I'll let you respond. I'll I'll give you my thoughts. I I hope that his reaction, his answer to that question, doesn't mean that we're in the midst of another one of those Oklahoma seasons defensively, where they tell us that they're all really good and practice looks great, but the results on the field say something different that was like the final years of the mike stoops era because he he seemed confused there like i don't i mean if he doesn't know okay uh it's game one what the heck man what do you think about any of that i think it's interesting i think uh good on you for sort of piecing that all together i don't i don't think anyone's gonna see that anywhere else um this really concerning to me one I think this is evidence that they care way too much about what is said in the media. And that is just, 
that just needs to stop instantly. Who who gives a rip what the media says? Yeah, it, it obviously we do. We are in the media, but Talk when it comes them. to the football, for them, I know, I know, I know. It, it doesn't matter. You're right. It doesn't matter what we say. The thing is, whenever they want to say these lines about how uh, you know everything outside of these walls doesn't matter, we don't pay attention. It, it's full. It's bull. I, like, what are you talking about? You guys, we get it. Everyone has Twitter. Everyone has, has Instagram. It's 2021. It's easier than ever to hear and read anything. So of course they care. And not to mention they're college kids and they've grown up. I mean, these guys at this point have grown up with phones in their hands and Twitter. And I mean, they've they've lived it. So of course they hear everything. And so I, I'm kind of tired of. And granted, we haven't. We're not gonna. I don't know how often we're going to hear it. I get tired of that candle line about, you know, we don't listen to the stuff outside the walls. We don't read that. Yes, yes, you do. Everyone does. Be honest about it. it it's not admitting anything, uh, any sort of weakness saying it. Acknowledge it and move on. Be honest about it. Yeah, yeah we listen. We hear it. And, you know, and sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's bad. It, but it doesn't really matter what you guys say. You know, we we believe we're a certain way and we're trying to live up to that standard. Like, whatever. Like, Whenever you, you try to hide it, and it, it might get into your head, and then you start to believe stuff maybe that you shouldn't believe, and maybe you don't prepare as much, and that's an issue, especially with a team that has all these high aspirations and then comes out and plays like that, looking unprepared in game one against uh, a, a two-lane team that's good, but we don't know how good they are, and they, they might not be as good as they looked against Oklahoma. Uh, I just think, you yeah. know, I, it's, and we've, we've, talked about, we've talked about this on this podcast for years now that they absolutely do coach the players for what they should say to the media. This is more evidence of that. And I one, good on you for kind of piecing this all together because the coaching staff put David Aguebu in a terrible spot there. You like As a journalist, you have to ask that question that you asked. And how he was coached, he wasn't able to answer the question. And so like that's yeah. just, that's, that's not good. So, and this is total speculation. If there is any any morsel any sort of any sort of feeling in that coaching staff that they need to try to control the message in the media or get things through messaging in the media it needs to stop now you're getting way too cute far too cute so let's just talk about what the strategy should have been so you mentioned that and i, I said that too i mean Aguebu was put in a tough spot there because of the messaging in my opinion from alex grinch the what we saw on the field and from what Benito said and what, what Pat Field hinted at last week is that, yes, Tulane did some things you weren't prepared for. And that's okay. It's a new offensive coordinator. Exactly. Sure, you can go back and, like, that's okay. So that can be part of Ogwebu's answer to why maybe they weren't able to play up to their standard. You know, like, once they got in and once we saw it, you know, we got better. Like Benito said, we adjusted in the second half. And then after halftime, you know, we our mentality wasn't great. And, don't say that you were totally prepared. We just didn't play up to our standard whenever that's not really the case because then when you get asked that question of, okay, well then with all of the off season, all the time to prepare all the excitement, then why didn't you play up to your standard? Like, like we saw with David Obebu, he didn't have an answer for it because I think the, the premise of his argument or the premise, not his argument, the premise of his comments before were probably not true. And it's tough to continue on and on and on and say and have answers for questions whenever the premise of things are not based in reality. And I think that, unfortunately, it, it kind of stumped a college kid who's, you know, he's 
he's a college kid. Like, I, I don't blame him. Like, I didn't know what I was doing in college either. I couldn't answer questions from the media as much as I'd like to think I could have. Uh, so we're probably diving way too deep into this hole. I just, I, that whole thing just was super interesting to me. And I, I really hope it's not a sign of things to come. And hopefully it was just a one-off thing. Yeah, I mean, we, we, can, we, we can wrap this discussion up. But it's uh, not a lot of great mojo right now. Around, it's just it, it feels weird. Everything feels really weird right now. Like there's just there's just something that we're missing or something that we're not seeing. Um, and I hope that's not the case. I hope it's just we're just caught in the moment, um, and we're being passionate. We love the team, and we're disappointed. And you know maybe everything turns out great. But I, there's some weird crap going on, man. There's some weird stuff going on. Uh, lastly, I'll just play this because it's it's short and. We don't have to go into details on this. I just found this to be interesting. Alex Grinch was asked about Shane Witter, and here is what Alex Grinch said about Shane Witter. And Shane Witter's status in this program has to get a whole lot better. He's, he's got to be uh, more accountable, uh, both on and off the football field. Short and sweet. I don't believe Witter played against Tulane. I don't know if he was out there. And so it would appear that the Shane Witter uh, rose or the bloom is off the Shane Witter rose. Uh, so something's going on, and he needs to be better, according to Alex Grinch, on and off the field to crack this lineup where all these people played, but I don't believe he was one of them. And I should probably double-check that. I feel like when you... You got any thoughts? I feel like when you mention the off-the-field stuff there, it's probably mostly that. Because that's kind of a weird... Like, that's kind of a weird thing you just sort of throw in there. I mean, I have no especially idea considering how matter, Especially considering how matter-of-fact it was from Grinch. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's got to improve a lot on and off the field. And I got to think a lot yeah. of that is, I mean, a lot of it could just be class. That's probably, I mean, Occam's razor suggests it's probably just has something to do with school. Well, they are college kids. Uh, Shane Witter is listed in the game participation chart. So I don't know if that means he played on special teams. I didn't see him out there uh, through my camera lens or during the rewatch. But so he he did get on the field for at least some sort of play all right uh you, OU versus oh you're oh you oh, want to move on i just i, I don't know i kind of oh. um i, I kind of some more just sort of random thoughts i um and maybe I, i'm kind of rethinking this now i don't know if it's sort of mean-spirited um i thought I, I thought the worst player on the field for ou on saturday was deshaun white um and i don't even think it was particularly close i just hope that that's I just hope that that's a fluke, and but I, I based on how he played on Saturday, I'd be shocked if his if his PT doesn't go down. Uh, yeah, I I didn't watch close enough to go that far. He needs to be better. The I will say though, as a whole, the linebacking group was not good, and Alex Grinch said that he was just a uh, I don't know, what word did he use? He said they didn't play well, and he did say that he thinks that's going to be the uh, exception, like. That's going to be the, the one bad one, and they're going to play a lot better the rest of the year. They ah. were atrociously terrible. I mean, it's I haven't seen linebacker play that bad in a long time. Yeah, filling gaps, uh, pass coverage needs to get better. They when they're playing zone, and I, it's just like you've said before, and that game I noticed it a lot. The middle of the field was it was easy pitch and catch, man. There was just no resistance a lot of the time, and. You know, whether it be crossing routes that were 
you know, mesh concepts that were made open, or whether it be just guys sitting into zones that maybe linebackers should be. They should be more aware of the situation and where routes might go. It just seemed really easy a lot of the time to get yards over the middle of the field. Anything else you want to talk about Tulane-wise before we, we briefly discuss this upcoming Western Carolina team? No, nah, go ahead and throw that game in the trash. We can move on, hopefully. How excited we were for months and months and months for that Tulane game, and we, we can't wait to just throw it in the garbage and move the F on. That's where, <laughs> funny how football season works, huh? So, it, it's, it, I don't know. I, what's the right word? I'm searching for the right word. Uh, it's, made, it's been made apparent to me that you have done a little bit of research on Western Carolina, of which I have done none. So I will give the microphone, the floor over to you, Grant, to give us some details about the Catamounts who are coming into town Saturday at 6 o'clock. They're actually kind of an interesting team if you just sort of kind of read up on them a little bit. Um, they're one of those teams just like, I mean, they, they had a weird fall where they didn't play a full schedule and it was sort of a smattering of FCS and FBS teams. Uh, they didn't do well. They got blown out quite a bit quite a bit um and then they had they they did play this spring but it was it was it was weird and they didn't play a lot of games um and they have a they have a brand new head coach that they hired after the spring Kerwin Bell uh former quarterback former SEC player of the year uh 1994 at Florida and uh interesting thing about him he uh he is a former national champion head coach at Valdosta State in 2018 and there are a lot of players that he won a national championship with that are on this team that uh and by a lot i mean a handful of them uh at least half of their of their uh of the core of their team um and by a lot i mean zero people and by, and by a lot and i mean by that nobody I mean zero won. and i don't know why i just said that uh but no so <laughs> their their quarterback rogan wells who is a grad transfer um so he transferred in from division two tusculum and i've never heard of that before it's really fun to say uh, but before that, he was 28-3 and as Valdosta State's starting quarterback. He said won a national championship in 2018, uh, was back-to-back -back com uh, conference player of the year in 2018 and 2019. And uh, so obviously he's a guy who's played a lot of college football, has won a lot of games in college football. But also, I, you know, I watched the first half of their game against Eastern Kentucky from last Saturday, and he's pretty limited, um, if, relatively speaking. I think this is going to be an interesting game in the sense that uh, that Western Carolina, they uh, they like to throw the ball. They're going to be a quick-paced team. They don't huddle. Uh, at times, the tempo goes, uh, goes up a little bit. But for the most part, Lee, they cannot stretch the field at all. They're not an explosive team, and a vast majority of their passing game is in the short to intermediate with emphasis on the short. A lot of short passes, a lot of passes out of the backfield to the running back. So in that sense, this is a really, really good first test after that two-lane game where they can get kind of some practice in against an offense where that's pretty much all they want to do. They want to snap it to their quarterback in the shotgun, one like one beat and it's out to a predetermined read. Uh, no more than five yards down the field a lot of the time. Uh, so... I don't know. They are definitely going to watch film from the Tulane game, and they're going to have some ideas because that's well within their offensive identity. So um, one thing I did notice, though, nowhere near as much uh, uniqueness with their personnel groupings. I watched the entire first half. They were exclusively in 11 personnel, never got out of 11 personnel, and it was the same people every single time. So they have three, running, they have three receivers, 
uh, and they have a tight end that they like who is on the field for every single play that I saw. Um, and then they have two running backs who uh, uh, TJ Jones is their main one, but they also have Kenny Benjamin, um, who is also from Valdosta State. Um, they throw the ball to both of those guys out of the backfield. They both touched the ball close to 20 times um, on uh, last Saturday. So obviously with Western Carolina, you know what you're going to get with an FCS team. They're not going to stack up talent-wise, uh, but I do think it's interesting. They have some guys at the skill positions, um, at big-time positions, leadership positions on their team that have won a Division II national championship. And so I think that's, that's, a, that's a valuable thing, which means they're going to probably come in there with some... If you, you know, if you ask them to be honest, I'm sure none of them think they can actually win, but they're going to come in as competitors, I'm pretty sure, and they're, they're going to want to throw haymakers and, and, you know, and give their best shot. And uh, I just hope that OU is kind of sort of meets them in that challenge. Um, if OU's got back-to-back games here where it looks like effort and their want to be there is an issue, then I think we can officially say this team may have an issue. Um, this is actually why I, I absolutely hate that they're playing an FCS team after that game against Tulane. We're not going to learn a single thing about this OU football team on Saturday. Uh, I, I'm Except maybe mentality. Part, Except maybe but, mentality. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, I, I've decided as I've thought more about it, I, there is something that we can learn, and we'll get to that here in a moment. I'm looking at their schedule in the spring last year, they played one, two, three, four, five, six games last spring and went one and five. They beat the Citadel, but they lost the other games. So not particularly successful in the spring, although that was before they had a new coach, right? And uh, yeah. also, and of note, I'm looking at their coaching staff, former OU, what, center, I believe, John Cooper is their offensive line coach. So he's yeah, going to have all the secrets. Yeah, he was all hired. The uh, oh, coming in. Yes, all of the secrets that he's going to uh, that he's going to share with Kerwin Bell about OU's 2008 Kevin Wilson Kevin Wilson led offense, for sure. <laughs> uh, okay, so we're not going to go in the in depth offense defense breakdown. That's about as good as you're going to get there from Grant. And good on you for doing that research. That's good stuff. I will ask you though, what do you want to see happen in this game? And I have actually prepared some notes for that. And I can go ahead and go first if you'd like. No, I'll just, I'll, I'll go quick. I mean, I, I can say it easily. I want this game to look like Missouri State last year. And I want to see the team super into it and having fun. All right. I have a little more detailed uh, what I want to see. How about this? I want to see Eric Gray get going. He needs to get familiar and comfortable in this offense because it didn't work for him against Tulane. I'd like to see him bust out, get some chunk runs, score a touchdown, feel comfortable. And I want to see Eric Gray get going against his FCS team. <clears throat> More on offense, Spencer Rattler, no mistakes from him. Run the offense, read the defense. Don't underestimate this FCS team. Take them seriously. Make your throws. Then hand the reins over to Caleb Williams whenever Lincoln Riley says it's time for Caleb Williams because the game is so out of hand. On defense, simple. Shut them out. You reference Missouri State. I will, too, just like the Missouri State game last season. But the biggest thing, and this is what I hinted at a moment ago, we can learn something from Oklahoma. Play four quarters. Play 60 minutes. They're harping on this all week. That's what Lincoln Riley mentioned over and over and over again on Tuesday. And this is actually a really good test for that. That's Oklahoma's number one goal, apparently, is playing four quarters, playing 60 minutes, playing hard, playing smart with effort. You guess what? 
Those are all controllables. That's not hard. So go do it. It's a very attainable goal. So from beginning to end, we'll actually have something to watch for because if they start to slack off and look like they don't care in the fourth quarter even with seven minutes ago, that's not good enough. You've told us all week. You stressed it. Play four quarters. You got all these different players on the roster that are going to see snaps. Everyone should be super excited to play each snap because there's tons of guys. So go do it. Go have fun, like you said, and don't underestimate this team. Beat the crap out of them like you are supposed to. I don't care that it's FCS Western Carolina. <laughs> this, is, this is Lee the fan coming out and yelling at Oklahoma. So that's what I want to see happen. We're not going to make a prediction because we're both going to say, oh, he's going to win. There's no line. So yeah, oh, he's, oh, he's going to win by a lot. Um, it's just it's going to be about whether or not it's uneven. And there's a lot of things that we can nitpick. Um, but we'll see. I don't know. And yeah, I, I hope guys are excited to get in. You know, hopefully the weather will be better. It will be a night game. Um, it's these it's games like this. I, I still don't understand not having motivation to play like even if you're even if you're winning by 40 points it's like God, i want to get in there and put up some numbers man i'd be excited mm-hmm. for that oh, i know as a d-back getting i want to pick a ball off i mean especially if this team just throws the ball around a decent amount of time as a defensive lineman you want to get get after the quarterback get some sacks i mean it's oh, it's so much more fun than practice <laughs> it just really is all right let's go to the west of Everest facebook page you guys have commented and uh, i had a post earlier today and so i'll read some of your comments this one from justin he says do you think ou will sub as much early on before the game gets out of hand as they were against tulane seems like a lot of people thought oklahoma subbed too much and it interfered with rhythm players like perry on winfrey apparently had less than 50 percent of snaps last week seems strange that would be the case in a game that oklahoma really never put away good question justin um Man, especially before it gets out of hand, I I would tend to say yes because it's Western Carolina and they they probably went into this season thinking we're going to sub them a lot against Tulane, we're going to sub them a lot against Western Carolina, and then whatever we see, we're going to go on at, against Nebraska and really kind of get the depth chart settled and play a lot more. And this is just me just guessing because that Nebraska game was third on the list, and you know maybe playing fewer players on defense so yes i i would i would bet they're going to sub more and they're just going to want more effort and they're going to want to play better and they're going to they're going to base that off of their decisions moving forward yeah i but think good we're question gonna, Justin. what do you think grant yeah i, I think we're going to see subbing rotational stuff very similar to what we saw against tulane and like we said earlier the defensive line rotations didn't bother me as much um and it's i mean it, it they're going to look better against western carolina anyway that not you know very clearly not a great offensive line. Um, their their quarterback, what's his name? Rogan Wells. What a, what a name, Rogan Wells. Uh, he was he didn't get sacked a lot, and he can run a little bit, uh, but he was under pressure pretty pretty regularly in that game. More comments from the West of Evers Facebook page. Shane says, "Don't think we're going to learn much from this week. Western Carolina is a terrible FCS team." It'll be nothing more than a scrimmage, and hopefully they'll use it to work on some of their mental mistakes they made against Tulane. That last part's the most important part, Shane. Yeah, I mean, even though Oklahoma should boat race Western Carolina, they have a goal now, and they did not meet that goal against Tulane. It's a mental goal, and they, they got to show it. If they don't show it against Western Carolina, a lot of people are going to be mad. <laughs> they really are. Uh, yeah. 
More comments from the Facebook page. Michael says, if I pay for the pay-per-view and it's anything but a 70 to nothing blowout, I'll be terribly upset. <laughs> you know, 70 to nothing sounds pretty good. Uh, I don't think Oklahoma's afraid to embarrass. Eh. They could have put more points on Missouri State last year, and they didn't, I feel like. I feel like they didn't want to embarrass Missouri State. Yeah, but State. also they weren't. They didn't have a full deck of cards in that game either, and so they were probably thinking, we got to get out of this healthy because otherwise True. that's actually one of those situations like last year where it makes all the sense in the world to sit on it and just and not do, because you want to keep guys healthy. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm right there with you. I'm, I hate paying for the pay-per-view stuff. That's, that's one of the things, you know, I'm – I'm very happy is going to go away as they go to the SEC. Um, yeah, it's, it's going to be six, it's sixty bucks. That's how much a how, how much an Xbox game costs. It's Have ridiculous. you looked it up? I think it might, I think it might be cheaper this year. Really? I want to say it's it's like in the thirties. Oh, okay. Was, okay. Was the, that was the original report. Uh, maybe it's more expensive out of state. I don't know where you are. You're in Minnesota. Oh, that could be it. Know. That could be it. Uh, I don't know. I want to say it's something like 39 bucks or something here in Oklahoma, which you can get a ticket for, I think, cheaper than that. Or oh, yeah. I was checking. Not uh, anymore, but. I was checking SeatGeek. Yeah. You know, there's still stuff. You can get in for under 20 bucks. Oh, all right. Well, that makes sense. It's Western Carolina. I mean, Lincoln Riley's trying to pump pump people up for this game because it's the original home opener, full capacity, and it's sold out. And you know, it's like, okay, yeah. Um, it's going to be. A def, uh, definitely a different feeling come kickoff Saturday. The question is, what will the feeling be by the third quarter, whenever the, all the students are gone? And yeah, and the and the energy from the stadium is not necessarily there. Will the Oklahoma players continue to play hard and play with energy? Because you can't always take that or take your cues from the fans, man. Like it's a privilege to play play in front of all those people, but also a lot of people don't get to do that. So bring your own energy. Bring your own energy. Look, look at last year. It makes me think they, they like. Yeah. Maybe there is kind of something to that. Maybe just how how buzzy the crowd is really does sort of determine how the like this program for how many games in a row like did they win on the road? Where they looked like yeah. there I mean in 2017 I thought they objectively looked better on the road most of the time. Like they came out with a with a with a better edge. Same thing with 2018. I maybe there's something to that. I mean it's it's pro- that's probably grasping for straws, but I don't know. Maybe that is one fantastic thing about the Lincoln Riley era. I mean, there's plenty of fantastic things about Lincoln Riley and, and him being the head coach, but the way they played on the road has, has been incredible. That, that is a, a huge feather in his cap with the exception of Kansas state last year or two years ago. Now, and even, even the Iowa state game, I mean, that was, that was a weird game, whatever they lost it last year. I didn't, but, I didn't, uh, they didn't yeah. even, and like, yeah, there, there were too many guys who played really well in that game for, to say that they played poorly. But another game where they were really bad in the margins. I, that's probably going to be a theme in, in, in losses, I would guess. More from the Facebook page. Nathan says, what I think we should be looking for is how Spencer Rattler handles sliding in the pocket and if he will start stepping into his passes. So, Nathan, yeah, noticing that the, uh, the footwork is not quite, uh, not quite steady there for Rattler. Phillip says, could this be a repeat of last season? Start slow, get better as the season progresses, and then play best at the end? Hopefully, I mean, I mean, and hopefully the, 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 the starting slow is over. That's the <laughs> that's story it. of Lincoln Riley's tenure at OU so far. Not necessarily. 2017, they started really fast. I guess, yeah, with Ohio Utah, State. But then, Ohio State. But then remember the week after that, they struggled with, with 1-11 Baylor in Waco. Yeah. 
Uh, they struggled. Yeah, they, at, were, they were geared up for a, yeah. Uh, they struggled. Sorry, uh, um, almost lost to five and seven Texas the week after that, or I don't know if it's week after that. They lost to Iowa State. Uh, almost on on the road. Oh yeah, almost lost to Daniel Sams led. Uh, was it Daniel Sams or who was the who who's their quarterback who couldn't throw? Daniel Sams. That was like the qu- that was like ten years ago. Oh man. You've already. Uh, it's uh, Alex Delton. Delton. That's right. <laughs> I hope. I hope there's people listening to this who who heard the Daniel Sam's name and just and laughed because that's like because he was like I two, don't know that name. I think Daniel Sam's I think was he was the quarterback after Colin Klein. And I just remember our our cousin James, who's a Kansas State fan, was always really pumped about Daniel Sam's. And uh, so yeah, there's I hope there's people that I hope there's people that heard Alex Delton and laughed because that means they've been listening to West of Everest since the beginning. Because man, still, we talked about Alex Delton a lot on this podcast. One of one of the worst Division one quarterbacks I've ever seen. I, I mean, I it's he, he was a really good runner. I'll give him that. Uh, just the thing is, he literally could only run against OU. <laughs> it wasn't against Mike yeah. Stoops led defenses. That was also Robbie Anderson's. Uh, Ro- Robbie Rodney Anderson. <laughs> Too many fantasy football drafts. I'm thinking Robbie Anderson. Uh, that was Rodney Anderson's breakout game in Manhattan. Uh, I mean, I yeah, it was one of them because Texas he broke out too. He had a good game against Texas earlier in the year. But yeah, that was a big one. I was there. I remember that game. I, uh, that was I saw in person uh, Jordan Thomas's like last good play in college. He had an interception in that game. He picked off Alex Delton uh, right I'm in front a, of me. That was kind of fun. I'm actually uh, I'm going so that I'm I'm going to be in Manhattan this year for that game. Uh, that's the first time, very first time I've ever uh, ever going to Kansas State. Hoping, hoping it's a good one. I don't know. It's been a while since I've been to a to an OU road game. I think the last one I've been to is when we went to uh, Texas A and M in two thousand and eight. Oh wow! Yeah, jeez. Uh, Kansas State's uh, it's cool. I mean, it's it's a nice stadium. It's it's kind of it it's a it's a stadium, but the setup of it it's a, it's somewhat unique. But it's it's cool. I as a media person, the sidelines are great. There's plenty of room, <laughs> which is always a huge thing for me down on the field. Trying to get from one end of the uh, one end of the stadium to the other, uh, but as far as as a fan, I I think it's one of those places like where there's not really a bad seat in the house, and obviously our cousin will be able to give you more information on that moving forward. We got one more comment from Facebook to hit on it. It's not necessarily OU related, but it kind of is. Philip says, "What is Alabama doing that they're so consistently good from the get go, even with a new quarterback and new coordinators? Geez, Oklahoma can't seem to do that, and it's frustrating as a fan." Can I answer this Preach, one, Philip? Yeah. Alabama is coached by Nick Saban, who is the best, who is arguably the best coach in the history of American sports. Period. All right. There's your answer. I mean, like, de- <laughs> definitely the best college football coach of all time. Um, the run that Alabama's That's on right close. now is unprecedented. No, no program has ever done it. Um, and I mean, just the fact that Saban did that at his, at his other stops before Alabama as well. The guy that's. What Alabama is doing right now is very unique. This is like it, this will not be a thing past Nick Saban being there. Alabama will still be Alabama, but not this Alabama. I'm not sure if I'm making any sort of interesting point here, but I just thought of this because I know we've discussed this off the air before. But it's it's just like a thinking of sports in general. Uh, like you and I have joked in the past about UConn women's basketball. How boring would it be to be a fan of that team? Because you're expected to win and not just win, but win by a lot of points. 
and they do win a lot, and they win a lot of national championships at Gina Ariyama, but it, you know, it, 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 in women's basketball, and they, they always win. Alabama is kind of a version of that in college, at the highest level of college football, in a sport that, yeah, I don't know. I mean, basketball is a sport where you can get like one or two really good players and not recruit and just dominate. Uh, yeah, football, you can dominate with a lot of good recruits too, and that's what Alabama does, but there's still a lot more that goes into it. There's a lot more people on the field, a lot more things that can go wrong, it seems like. And there just isn't really any dynasties in football as opposed to basketball. And Alabama is doing that very similarly to what UConn was doing with Gina Ariyama for all those years. That's insane. And the, and the core of their team right now was part of recruiting classes that finished second fiddle to Georgia. So they're doing it now with even the, not even the top, I mean, still like absurd recruiting classes, but not the top ones in the country anymore. All right, as we're trying to do at the end of midweek episodes, we're going to talk about the Big 12 and the national scene. And I'll say this from the beginning. Admittedly, I have not been able to watch any other games, really, with the exception of I watched the Ohio State-Minnesota game because it was a standalone Thursday night game last week, and I was off, so I had time to watch it. I haven't seen Texas play. I saw a little bit of Oklahoma State because I work at News 9. It didn't look very good. I didn't see any Kansas State against Stanford. I haven't seen really anybody. Uh, I didn't see any of the Iowa State game. So I just want to give you that. So I'm not going to have a lot of thoughts at all on any of this stuff, Grant. And honestly, outside of the Big 12 nationally, I didn't get a chance to watch much except for that Ohio State-Minnesota game. Unfortunately, I've just been so busy since Saturday with work and getting everything going for the podcast. So I wish I had more info, more details and stuff. Uh, Honestly, if you could talk to me, a day or two from now, I'll probably have more thoughts on it. I'm hoping, but just wanted to give that caveat from the beginning. So I'll turn it over to you and the big 12 uh, Kansas won. they stormed the field last week and now they're playing at coastal Carolina and Kansas is 25 point dogs Friday night. Any thoughts on Kansas grant? <laughs> I do not have any thoughts on Kansas. Well, actually, you know, um, <laughs> yeah, no, I, yeah, I, I expect coastal to probably cover that. I would, I, that would be if, you know, if I had to pick that game, that's, that's what I would do. I, you know, I don't, whatever that, that game's yeah. not really, uh, not really moving any. So how about this? Me. So I'll go down the list of big 12 games this Saturday and stop me. If you want to talk about any of these games, cause I don't have any thoughts. Not I'll a be, great, I'll be real. Uh, I, I, I legitimately yeah. outside of, you know, two games at eh, three games, a legitimately horrendous Big 12 schedule this week. Yeah, a lot of FCS teams. I mean, I guess one of the better games is Tulsa, Oklahoma State. OSU's a 13-point favorite. I guess I'll have some thoughts just because Oklahoma State was without Spencer Sanders. Uh, they were randomly injured more than we thought they'd be on the defense. There was guys out with COVID. The offensive line was supposed to be improved. They averaged less than two yards per carry with all of those running backs. What a weird game. And they played Missouri State. And I know Missouri State, I think, played decent in the spring. Like, didn't they end up winning a decent amount of games in the I spring? Think they so won their, they weren't as bad as we thought. I think they won their conference in the they, spring, or yeah, at least they, they tied won for something. first. And weirdly, FCS teams did pretty well this past week. I mean, Washington lost to Montana. Montana is a traditionally a pretty good FCS team. Uh, and so is Northern Iowa, which we can talk about a little bit later. Oklahoma State laying almost two touchdowns against Tulsa, who also lost to an FCS team, UC Davis. Both these teams might be pretty bad. So Oklahoma State's only a 13-point favorite at home. 
And Tulsa lost yeah. to an FCS team? Yeah, yeah, that's a good, yeah. Ooh, so that's actually kind of fishy, right? So I think a sharp would start I, to would start to question, all right, so what's wrong with Oklahoma State then? Yeah, I mean, uh, the thought is they hope that Spencer Sanders is back. It sounds like, uh, well, not sounds like, he had COVID protocols. Does that mean he's going to miss just the one game? Uh, he's a better... He's a better quarterback than Shane Ellingworth. Shane Ellingworth is is he's fine. I, he's he's kind of limited though. And, but I gotta back him up a bit though. When he has no running game, like what is he supposed to do? And that offensive line is supposed to be better, and it clearly was not. They could not get anything going. So yeah, that could be a fishy line. This matchup's kind of interesting. Cal is at TCU because it's just it's two teams we know, but TCU's a eleven and a half point favorite. So Cal is Cal ain't great. I know they have a new coach this year. I th- they have a new coach. Or maybe no, maybe it's a new defensive coordinator. They, no, yeah, they they have the like, same coach. All right, so I don't have any thoughts on that game. I don't know. I didn't see any of the. I didn't see TCU at all. I know they they kicked the crap out of Duquesne. Um, no, I mean, so this is this is this is pretty much our first look at TCU. That's why I think it's interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's always yeah. interesting to see kind of what a TCU team who I you know picked to be in the Big Twelve title game. But a lot of people think they may be sort of a, mid, a more mid-tier Big 12 team against a mid to lower tier Pac-12 team, I think, is always a really interesting measuring stick, right? It is. Is this... Uh, this is going to be either really smart or really dumb. Is this a rematch of the Cheez-It Bowl? Oh, I think it is, yeah. <laughs> I think it was Cal, wasn't it? I think it was Cal. That's not, that sounds about right to me. I'm looking it up. Just I mean, the Cheez-It Bowl? You mean, yes, it was, Cal. You mean the greatest bowl game in the history of bowl games? <laughs> so I search Cheez-It Bowl TCU first headline. TCU versus Cal was one of the most beautifully hideous bowls ever. I don't know what you're talking about. Like you said, that was great. That was a great game. It actually uh, was. No, it was. That game was legitimately entertaining to watch. <laughs> okay, I'm glad I remember that. I'm glad I didn't uh, whiff. The rest of it, we're going to save a couple of these for our national discussion because some of these Big 12 games are actually some of the best games of the entire week of college football, in my estimation. West Virginia, Baylor, K-State, and Texas Tech all play FCS teams, so they should all win, and we'll leave it at that. I guess, I guess yeah. The how only... about this? I'm... Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, um, you know, West Virginia looked... Uh... I think there's probably some West Virginia fans that are pretty concerned after the game against Maryland last week, especially about the offense. Uh, Maryland was a, a last year, especially was a defense that got shredded quite a bit. Um, and West Virginia really struggled to kind of land haymakers against uh, against Maryland. One of their touchdowns was set up by, you know, like a 99 yard kick return that was returned to the one yard line. And I think they only scored 21 points. Um, the flip side of that is, you know, with their offense not really moving well, they did hold Maryland to 30 points, uh, which would have been below their season average last year. Um, so if, you know, take one game as the sample size, West Virginia may be kind of who we thought they were. Pretty decent, pretty solid on defense, but kind of limited and not very explosive on offense. At least that's what they showed uh, against Maryland. And then Kansas State beat the crap out of Stanford. Um, we we kind of talked about this last week too. Stanford may be terrible. So we're not exactly sure. I don't think we can take anything from that game as of now. So I think the book, though, on West Virginia, at least from my research going into this year, is that actually the offense was supposed to be improved, but then the defense would take a step back. That's what I and, assumed as well. Yeah. 
but it didn't sound like I didn't see any of the game, but it, you know, maybe that wasn't the case in that first game. Daggy is just a, he's such a statue and in 2021 football, that's just a problem these days. Yeah, it is. And I'm glad you mentioned K-State. That was the one thought I had is didn't watch any of that game. But when I saw the final score, I thought, okay, good. Because that was one of my strongest picks of last week when they were only a three-point favorite. And, you know, K-State's kind of my Big 12 team that I think is being a little underrated. And so whenever they were only laying three, kind of in a neutral site game, but it was more of a K-State friendly uh, region of the country in Texas, down in Dallas, only laying three against the Stanford team that we all kind of think is going to be bad. I was like, yeah, K-State should win that game by, you know, they should at least cover three and they won by what, three touchdowns. So that was the one of the few picks where I was like, yeah, okay. I feel like I had that one measured pretty well. Then the national scene, let's start with the biggest game of the week, just because I might have, I definitely have thoughts on one team, not as much on the other, but the biggest game of the week is number 12, Oregon at number three, Ohio State, Ohio State, 14 and a hook, 14 and a half point favorites after beating Minnesota by 14 even. Uh, I actually kind of loved Ohio State in this contest I play because it was uh, 13 and a half. It wasn't the full 14. So I, I thought that that uh, extra, you know, not having to cover that hook was big and it ended up being big because, boy, they they got pushed by Minnesota, Grant. And it was a tale of two halves. It's a cliche, but uh, C.J. Stroud looked pretty pedestrian in the first part of the game. But he, you know, it was his first college game. Everyone's going to say this. He was in a hostile environment. Good on the Minnesota crowd, right? It was pretty crowded. They were pretty rowdy. His ball placement, his decision-making was bad. I mean, he had no touch on the ball. And then after halftime, Ryan Day schemed up some wide-open throws for him to just totally not miss, and they had a ton of explosive touchdowns. So Ohio State looked super talented. The defense, though, may need some work, even though I know Minnesota's offense might be a little bit better than we think. Yeah, I thought. Uh, I hope everyone got a chance to watch that game last Thursday night. That was just a really good college football game, uh, a really good game to kick off the season. Uh, knew some people who were at the game, said it was a really great atmosphere. So that was that was good to see. Not a ton of Ohio State fans there, which is really good to hear. Uh, so full of Gopher fans, and uh, good. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I I, I kind of have similar thoughts about Ohio State. You do. Um, like you can you can see sort of the athleticism and the talent that Stroud has, but you can also tell that some better defenses definitely may be able to to rattle him a little bit um, because his his ball placement not great his accuracy wasn't great. Lee uh, Bill Connolly, who's the purveyor of the SP Plus system that I that I like so much, put out a passing chart for C.J. Stroud. What would you guess C.J. Stroud's stat line was on throws over the middle of the field? Ooh. I'm trying to remember if he even attempted any. He attempted one pass. Sure he did. Oh, okay, so I wasn't too far off on that. He was 0 for 1 for 0 yards and a pick over the middle of the field. Yeah. Well, a lot of that stuff was schemed up, man. Uh, I mean, the well, game I mean, could have been That's changed. Ohio State's offense. Like, that's, well, it's I think, smart. It's great. Yeah, that it's great coaching. The, that was always the knock. Like That, that was definitely the knock on... Um, uh, who was the quarterback before Fields? Um, I've already forgotten. Haskins. His name. Uh, Haskins. That was always that was kind of the knock on him, and you know, leading up to the draft this year, that was also the knock on Fields. Just everything is just totally schemed up for Ohio State's quarterbacks. Um, but I mean, geez, I, that's probably it's pretty smart when you have you know Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. Those guys are good. 
those guys are, are both really good. Um, Ohio State's defense, though, and I'm sure a lot of Ohio State fans would agree with this, they're very vulnerable. Very. Like, they are... They're again like they their secondary was bad last year. Gave up a ton of yards passing last season. They're uh, they're still vulnerable there this year, um, and uh, that's good. I think that's good. I I, I hope Ohio State kind of has one of those seasons where they're not killing everyone and they're sort of having to because that's going to make the Big Ten more interesting. That's going to make the national scene a lot more interesting. Um, and really, you know, from what I saw from C.J. Stroud, it's looking like that could be the case. Um, but also, they're going to try to get the ball to Travion Henderson, I would guess, as much as possible. He, you know, his early returns there, um, kind of a former OU target, I know. He looked really good. He looked he looked like the, the next great Ohio State back. So, a really good game. I hope everyone was able to watch that. Um, and, uh, I don't know, uh, Mo Ibrahim, uh, Minnesota's running back, he's out for the season, which is a huge, huge blow to them. A massive blow to them. Uh, the the drop off from Ibrahim to ta- uh, to Potts, who is uh, who's their ba- is is very it's vast it's vast. So uh, hopefully Tanner Morgan can kind of can sort of rally the troops a little bit. They have they have they have a they have a receiver just who came out of nowhere who I didn't even know existed. The transfer from Texas A and M, Daylon Wright, and he's he's awesome. He he's he's going to be really good for them. So I don't know Big Ten football, man. It's 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 not what it used to be. Yeah, they'll get. What Chris Ottman Bell back? Maybe uh, he's not out for very long, is he? I mean, he's he, uh, he, back maybe this week. So. He was a full participant in practice, game. I think, yesterday, is what Flex said. So, yeah, I mean, so that's randomly, well, not randomly, because Minnesota's had the last two, since Flex been there, it seems like they've had two really good receivers each year. Like that ended up, I mean, Bateman and Ottman Bell and, uh, and Bateman and Tyler Johnson in 2019. Tyler Johnson, Tyler Johnson, yeah. So, I mean, who knows? Maybe this is another duo out of nowhere. So, yeah, so Ohio State's playing Oregon. I didn't see any Oregon, but they had a close game with Fresno State. And I think Fresno State could be a pretty solid football team. But you look at the box score, and box score doesn't tell you everything, but it looked like Oregon had a pretty pedestrian day offensively, uh, defensively. I I mean, it looks like Fresno's quarterback had a pretty good day, uh, threw for almost 300 yards, threw a touchdown, completed a pretty good amount of his passes. Quarterback Anthony Brown for Oregon didn't really do much through the air so I don't know what Oregon is I didn't see them play they're they're 14 and a half point dogs we always just do forced picks on the podcast for fun so I just because I haven't seen Oregon play I, I mean I would still lay it with Ohio State that hook is annoying that's why the hook is there the hook the, the hook is the half point if you guys know what I'm talking about so I'm I'll pick Ohio State minus 14 and a half but Want to reiterate my picks? I, I have no uh, research yet. Uh, by the way, last week you and I were each two and three. We each picked the same. <laughs> we were we were two and three last week. I will say, on a different contest, I switched my pick to Georgia after the fact. But in that contest, Georgia was getting three and a half. And at three and a half, after doing some more research, I liked Georgia and ended up paying off over Clemson. But who cares? It doesn't matter. Uh, anyways, who would you pick? For, do you have any thoughts on Oregon, or, and who would you pick in this one? Uh, you know, my I, I didn't I didn't get to watch them play, uh, so I don't have any huge thoughts on Oregon. I, I will say, I, I did see that they struggled on offense. Um, you know, there's I think there a lot of their fans on Saturday were sort of questioning whether or not Anthony Brown is it. I think he's more of a runner, and um, I don't know. I I just I think Oregon being. Un, like not creative and sort of underwhelming on offense is sort of a given with that coaching staff. Uh, they had Justin Herbert and they were they were average on offense the entire time with with a 
you know, with a first round left tackle as well. So I, that's, that's not a very good coaching staff. And I know the national media has kind of fallen in love with them. Schematically, they're, they're, there's a lot better. There's a lot better. They don't do a very good job with the talent they have. I'd say Ohio State, obviously. All right, let's go to the next biggest game of the week. And in this part of the country, maybe the biggest, and that's Iowa at Iowa State. And I love how they move Iowa up into the top 10 to make it a top 10 matchup. Didn't see any Iowa State. Didn't see them struggle. I'm assuming they struggled with Northern Iowa, only one by six. Did you watch any of that game? I didn't see any. I don't think it was on. I mean, I think maybe it was on ESPN Plus or something. So no, I mean, but I kind of expected that. That's just sort of what they do. But that also tells me that this Iowa State team is probably no different than the, than the Iowa State teams of the last three or four years. I said in the big preview podcast that the first couple of games for Iowa State are going to be telling, even though they were playing Northern Iowa. And are they a team that are going to come out and blow the doors off a Northern Iowa team, or are they going to kind of play the same way they played every every year with Northern Iowa? And boom, there you go, close game. Now they're going to play Iowa, and holy crap, are we going to see another game where they lose to Iowa? I, I just... I'm yeah. so tired of it. I'm yeah. so tired of seeing Iowa State lose to Iowa when they play early in the year. This is such By a, way, this Iowa is play such a well, great right? line if you want to bet Iowa. This is such a great line. I I was getting four and a half, so it's right in the Vegas zone. The Vegas zone, by the way, I believe it was coined by Bill Simmons back in the day. And like you see a lot of football lines. They're usually three, seven, kind of the touchdowns. He calls the Vegas zone four four and a half because it's like right in the middle between a field goal and a touchdown vegas is like yeah i don't know i don't know what this is we're gonna throw it in the middle and we're gonna figure it out as we go oh just because i was super high in iowa state and i have not i have not watched any of the games from i'm, I'm gonna stick by my guns on a forced pick with iowa state i know you're gonna pick iowa though i'm going with iowa by a lot by 17 to 20 points i, I hate iowa I hate Iowa. I just hate the Big Ten. I say, yeah, Iowa oh, still very that. much plays Big Ten football, early two thousands Big Ten football. But on hey, Iowa plays very similarly in style to Kansas State, which has always given Matt Campbell trouble at Iowa State. Always. It's because well, they last year they they struggle with teams that are able to line up in tight packages and run it down your throat. They struggle with that because it does not play into their strengths on defense. All right, next game, another Big 12 matchup. Texas is up to number 15 in the country now. After you called it, you said Texas would handle Louisiana pretty good. They won, well, I think they won by 20. And Texas is now going to Arkansas. And Arkansas is unranked. Texas is laying, a, uh, laying seven points. So, I mean, this is an interesting matchup. Didn't see the teams play. I, I'm tempted to want to wanna jump on arkansas for some reason because they're getting a touchdown at home but i don't know is arkansas any good did i can't even did no, they, they play anybody last they week? struggled last week against someone who sucks i can't remember it was it was an fbs team but a uh a very very low group of five team I'm trying to think I, I can't remember who it was um rice rice that's right uh i i want you to go and watch the texas game and get back to me uh because their game was actually really interesting um hudson card looked good he looks good, and uh, there there's some things that they showed there in that game that, as it relates to their matchup with OU, kind of scare the crap out of me. 
which yeah. is basically their their willingness. One, the entire offense is centered around Bijan Robinson, and they send him. They put him everywhere. Man, they had him lined up in the slot, running slants, and Card was was hitting him. Uh, and that that scares the crap out of me. Can you imagine Bijan Robinson against Brian Asamoa one on one in coverage? So, no. and that tracks with Steve Sarkeesian. I mean, he clearly moved Devontae Smith around with Alabama and and exploited matchups. And it's like, oh, what a what a novel idea. What I will say though, yeah. Um, Louisiana, the Raging Cajuns, they were really they're really really experienced. Their run defense and their front seven on defense last year was not very good. Um, and I say that uh, just just to say Texas's running game didn't look great. They struggled to get a push in the run game. And, and Card was under pressure at times. So um, obviously with a lot of the new quarterbacks, you kind of never know what you have until they're under a ton of pressure. So... Um, Book is clearly still out on Hudson Card, but he definitely passed the first test. He looked pretty solid. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm curious what, what your thoughts will be on that. This game, I think, like, from a sharp perspective, you probably, Arkansas getting seven points at home probably perks you up a little bit. Um, because, right, I mean, if, if this is the same Texas team of the last decade, they're going to lose this game for sure. But we don't, we don't know if that's, if that's who they are. So we'll find out. So I've, I changed my pick. I'm going Texas, and it's because of what you said a little bit ago. And then I just remembered, well, Sarkeesian is was with Alabama, and they played Arkansas. So he, he kind of has an idea of what Arkansas can do and can't do. And uh, I think he'll be prepared for it. He'll get this team prepared. And I like the idea of him being creative and getting, uh, getting the ball to Robinson and other things. So I'm going to go Texas, laying the points. And I'll go with Arkansas, just because. You know, I like an SEC team getting seven points at home against Texas, I, I don't think is a terrible bet. No, I think, yeah, I think it's a good reason. Good call. Uh, next one is two unranked teams we're going to talk about, but it's two big-name teams. Washington, who just lost to Montana, at Michigan, who scored a lot of points against whoever they played, and Michigan's laying a touchdown. I have no thoughts on this because I didn't see this, this game, but just out of principle, I kind of want to take Washington plus the points. But then I remember that Chris Peterson's not there anymore. And so I, I kind of want to just, I, I think I'm kind of leaning towards Michigan. What do you think? It's tough, right? Because, I mean, I was right there with you. I kind of, my head, I was like, ooh, maybe this is kind of the sneaky one where, like, obviously all of the popular money is going to be on Michigan, and so maybe that's when you should, put me down for Washington. I actually, I did watch a little bit of that Michigan game, and they looked pretty good. It looked like they opened it up quite a bit, and they were throwing it down the field, but also then I looked at the box score, and they only threw it like 12 times in the game, um, and so we'll, we'll, we'll see. I, I don't know. Like, Michigan is just kind of, eh. I mean, if, if if I was picking this game, what, like six days ago, I definitely would have been on Washington. Um, but of course, obviously, those results give you pause. Interesting game. It'll be an interesting game. We'll know a lot about both of those teams after the game, as is, as is the case with a lot of week two matchups, usually. Seven o'clock kickoff. Uh, Michigan took down Western Michigan, 47 to 14. Washington. Uh, again, lost to Montana in a low-scoring slugfest. I saw Buki had a PBU in the game, and I think he started, but I'm I, the participation chart on Washington's box score was weird. It kind of looked like they had more than 11 guys, and uh, it was weird. So uh, last one, another Pac-12 team. Number 21, Utah, is at BYU. Utah's laying seven on the road, 
And out of principle, just because I'm pretty high on Utah this season, and this is one of the you know, one of their important kind of early season games to kind of set the tone in the Pac-12 to go on and win the Pac-12, I'm going to take Utah minus the seven points. Grant? I'll take Utah as well. Uh, BYU beat Arizona by eight on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, another game where we're going to learn a lot about both these teams. I don't think seven is too high for a Utah team. Who, I mean, we know they're going to be solid on defense. And I actually like, you know, if if they have a good run game, and you could do a lot worse than Charlie Brewer if you're just expecting him to be a game manager, I feel like. And obviously, you, you, you like the fact that he's been a three-year starter at another school, and you got him going on the road here. And so that's that's always a better proposition. I think Utah's a decent bet here. They beat Weber State 40-17 to in week one. And looking at the box score, TJ Pledger is uh, not a big part of their offense. <laughs> he only had two carries. So I don't know if it's a situation where he started and then got injured and it's like, oh, no, or if he just isn't the guy that gets carries. I think it's probably uh. the latter, but we'll find out. Theo Howard, former Sooner great of one year, one catch for 19 yards. Uh, so... Former Sooners, so far, at least in week one, not doing a whole lot for Utah. So, hey, I, I wanted to, uh, do you got any, uh, got any thoughts on that? Did we, did we mention the, the UCLA-LSU game at all last week? Can't remember if we did. I think that was one of our picks, yeah. Yeah, I don't know, that, that, was, a, that was a really entertaining game. Uh, so, yeah, if, if anybody wants, uh, go watch that game on YouTube if nobody watched it. Uh, UCLA's fun. They got some. They got some legitimate weapons on uh, on offense. Their tight end is really good. So um, you see, after watching after watching UCLA, and maybe it's just a first week overreaction, but I was kind of like, Ugh. after that, I think I may favor them to win the Pac-12. Actually, but uh, you know, I mean, you never know. LSU could be terrible, but they didn't look terrible. LSU looked pretty good, actually. Hmm. Yeah, that was a surprising result. I uh, you know we're a little higher on UCLA than than a lot, but I just. I mean, I, I kind of was Pac, you know, Pac-12, UCLA kind of whatever, and LSU being a little bit better this year than maybe they were last season. Kind of, last, you know, they got rid of uh, Bo Pelini and you know the, all that. They got a new offensive coordinator, but uh, I mean, UCLA averaged like UCLA they averaged like them. seven yards a carry on Saturday against LSU. A lot of explosive wow. plays. All right, so here's a recap. Both Grant and I are on Ohio State minus fourteen and a half. Uh, I am begrudgingly laying the four and a half with Iowa State. Grant is loving the four and a half with Iowa. Grant is on Arkansas plus seven at home. I am laying the points with Texas minus the seven. Grant is taking the seven points of Washington. Washington plus seven at Michigan. I'm laying the seven. And we are both on Utah minus seven at BYU. So unlike last week, we are differing quite a bit. And just a reminder, this is like whose lines anyway. These uh, picks don't matter because <laughs> uh, they're probably not going to be very good. Or in case they are good, they're, uh, yeah, yeah, quote us and uh, put your money down. That's all I have for this week. You got any more final thoughts? I got nothing. All right. We'll be back after the Western Carolina game, hopefully in better moods than we were today and after the game on Saturday. Until next time, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe to the show. And if you want to help us spread the word, please leave us a five-star review. And also, tell all of your friends who are OU fans about West of Everest. You can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, 
and SoundCloud.